Polls and popularity. I'm never going to be on the cover of Vogue. Serious on euthanasia. Do not play silly buggers. And a united front. This is I think he's doing well. Welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up about the political stories that we've been covering on One News. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. I'm Mikey Sherman. I'm Benedict Collins. And it's very nice to have you with us. We're going to do pits and peaks, first of all. Should we start off should we start off with the negative first? Should we start off with the pits and then we'll end on the positive? What are, what are your what's your pit this week? Oh, my pit would be uh, watching the Warriors match at the weekend where the refs made uh, poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. Uh, just before the final whistle blew, I jumped out of the off the couch yelling and yahooing only for the um, uh, pass to be called forward by the refs. Quite good to see them all stood down um, after making so many mistakes this week, but my peak for the week would be that the TAB refunded my losing bet um, due to the poor decision In making. case you were confused, we are a political podcast and that was not what I was expecting him to say, but we do try and be organic and honest with our pits mm. and peaks of the week, so thank you very much for that. What's your pit? Alright, my pit is throwing it back for Thursday, throwback Thursday um, to my trip to Melbourne with the Prime Minister a couple of weeks ago during recess. Uh, we took the um, Royal Air Force 757 plane over there but unfortunately had to catch a commercial flight back because uh, the Defence Force plane broke down. Again. So a little yeah. bit of an embarrassment. Again it happened to John Key back in uh, 2017 I think it I was. In a, and I had a couple of times we um, broke down once in Phuket though which was awesome. My status points didn't mind it I'm, I have no. to be honest. <laughs> I was a little bit happy about that plus I did get an upgrade to business class guys. So, wow yeah. check you out. It wasn't, it wasn't all bad news. Oh, this, yeah. is, this is terrible, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I feel like yeah. this is actually the bleeds. pit. Um, my, actually your peak this week, but my um, pit this week, I think, was um, the the announcement around Sarah Dowie that police aren't investigating um, the tweet, uh, sorry, the oh, text that she, uh, mm. sorry, let me start that again, that the police aren't um, charging with the text that she sent to Jamie Lee Ross. And I, the reason this is my pit, I guess, is because it's it's taken so long, it's been months and months, um, for something that on the surface doesn't seem to be a hugely complex case. And it also, I just think it reminds you, it brings up all the all the muck and stuff again. And, you know, it was it was quite a long time ago. So I just think um, for something like this, you f- I, I feel like it could have been dealt with a lot quicker and a lot earlier on in the process. We've still got the SFO yeah, investigation. And, and you wonder how much... You know, it being a politician is the reason behind that delay. You know, whether how how much extra um, work goes into it, Mm. how much more shy they are of actually prosecuting, or what's going on in the background because it's a politician. Given people are regularly charged, you know, rapidly over more complicated things. Happy to have that behind her now. I guess. On a happier note, though, um, for me, I've I've been away sick for a couple of weeks, and we've had recess for a couple of weeks, and it's nice to have um, everyone back together again and I, it's been a fun week with poll week this week so um, I think it's it's good to be back into the thick of it um, again. It is good to be back, that's probably my peak too, it's just that we're all back together again, it's good to get our podcast off the ground again, we've sort of uh, had a bit of a hiatus for a couple of weeks so I hope you all enjoy it this week. Yeah, yeah. and the best thing about this podcast is we've got some really cool issues to look at, let's start off with having a look at this poll track. 
The main numbers haven't moved around a lot since our last poll at the beginning of June. National is still sitting pretty as the biggest party on 45, up one. Labour is on 43, also up one. The Greens are steady on six. But those gains by National and Labour seem to be at the expense of New Zealand First. It's dropped to three, below the 5% threshold needed to get into Parliament. And ACT, the Māori Party and the new Conservative Party are all sitting on one. Let's look at how that translates to seats in Parliament. National gets 57 blue seats, add in just one from ACT, and it's short of the 61 seats needed to form a government. Labour gets 55 red seats, add in seven from the Greens, and they have the numbers. When it comes to preferred Prime Minister, 41% want to stick with the current one. That's a drop of four since our last poll, but she's still well ahead. Simon Bridges is wallowing on six. At least that's up from one point from the last poll. Again, Judith Collins is matching him on six. And now there's a new name in the mix. He's not even a member of the National Party, and yet 1% want the outgoing Air New Zealand Chief Executive Christopher Luxon as Prime Minister. And that puts more competition and more pressure on the National Leader. Jacinda Ardern is set to grace the cover of Vogue magazine, but it's her popularity at home that counts, and right now her party is in second place, just. Both small movements on either side. Now again, I try certainly not to be too fixated on polls. Well, you know, I'm never going to be on the cover of Vogue, uh, but I am going to release good policies. One News has done 11 polls since the last election, and both major parties have consistently been neck and neck, though Labour did see a boost after the Christchurch attacks. Regardless of what numbers are telling us, I'm not going to be satisfied so long as we have some of those big challenges. But there's a gaping hole when it comes to the preferred Prime Minister numbers. Six is still floundering at still low levels. I believe, you know, I will come into my own, own campaign. I love to campaign. Judith Collins is equal with you. Are you sick of talking about her? <laughs> uh, no, no, not really. And now Christopher Luxon's looming. Does that bother you, sitting on six? No, and, and look, I mean, uh, let's see what he does. Polls don't impress Winston Peters. He is still registering as preferred Prime Minister and tends to come back in election year. In an MMP environment, it's not unusual that you see those kind of movements and then obviously come an election time, everything changes. When it comes to the economy, people are feeling nervous. We asked, do you think during the next 12 months the economy will be in a better state than at present or in a worse state? Less than a third of people feel optimistic. It hasn't been that bad in 10 years. And the number of people feeling pessimistic has shot up to 41%. The rest think it'll stay the same. We are facing um, pretty tumultuous times in the international environment. The trade war um, between the US and China. We've got numbers that haven't been this bad since the GFC. 13% of the people we polled don't know or refuse to say how they'd vote. It's these voters all parties are trying to woo. I mean, I think the biggest takeaway from the poll this time is, is asking questions about um, the future of the National Party. Simon Bridges with 45 for National, it's safe. It buys him some time. And I think, um, you know, the, we've seen at the conference that shift 
more towards the party rather than bridges. And I also think the other thing that I very much enjoyed was the Christopher Luxon. So um, as as people know, um, our questions of who they'd like to see as Prime Minister, it's not prompted. So to see his name popping up, yep, only 1%, but to see it emerge like that I think is really interesting. Um, and I think that sparks a little bit of interest. And we see, you know, people's names come and go from the preferred Prime Minister list, but for him to sneak in among there as well I think is interesting yeah I don't think they're just safe at 45 I think it's really impressive that they're sitting that high after being you know coming up for two years in an opposition not being able to really do anything um, except you know kind of criticise and hold the government to account um really impressive numbers there for National. And I think given um, that us and the previous News Hub poll as well have been sort of well, well apart, good for us um, you know, to have this other poll out here showing that our numbers are tracking very consistently with that little bit of a bump around after the Christchurch attacks for the Labour Party. We love consistency. Yeah, that's probably the takeaway for me as well, consistency. Um, so good poll for uh, the National Party, great poll for Simon Bridges. Uh, they'll be feeling really good coming off the back of their annual conference, which was just, just over the weekend, and we'll speak about that later. Not good for Winston Peters. Um, a drop there uh, by 2% in the party vote, down to 3% on those numbers. They wouldn't get back in. Obviously, we know that um, they usually track up around uh, election time, and he doesn't pay much attention to polls, or does he? Um, and also, in those preferred Prime Minister polls as well. He dropped by 3% down to 2%. So no good, no good there for New Zealand First. Great for the Green Party though. Um, 6% still um, maintaining steady on that. No change there and sort of puts them into a good position going into next year's election. Well it does right because if if things sat like this at, at the next election then the Greens would basically be able to decide who led the country, Labour or National. And I know you know, a lot of people would think, hey, there's no way in the world that the Greens would want to go into government with the National Party, uh, given, you know, the National opposes just about every initiative they have. Um, but, you know, I, I think they'd definitely want to um, go and at least do some negotiations with both par- both parties, right, and, see- and try and get the best deal for the Green values. I think, though, on those those numbers, and, yep, you look at the poll and, and, and um, you know, we have to take the numbers as they are, but New Zealand First does tend to come That's back right. in election yeah. year um, in the polls, and and I think that it would, be a, it would be a silly person who didn't think that Winston Peters will be in the mix. He's going to have some money with the Provincial Growth Fund to splash around. He's going to be able to tell people a lot of things that he's achieved there, so I do think that um, he will be in the mix. The voters have uh, given him the boot in New Zealand first, the boot in the past. I was there right? on election night when they did. That was not a fun election night in 2008, let me tell but you. They, and New Zealand first, though, has been able to pull up the handbrake on some really key issues um, for their voters, like capital gains tax um, and so on. So I think, you know, with them still being able to flex their muscle in that way, and we see it all of the time, that will pay them well at the election. And we'll see them do something it, and next that, year. That yeah. is the that is the real trouble for the Greens too, is that even though they are sort of tracking well on that 6%, they sort of maintain, um, they can't really sort of flex their muscle because this time round it is Winston Peters as the kingmaker and also they know that there is, even though he's tracking down in this poll, they know the likelihood of him tracking up um, is quite high come election time. So they can't really afford to be too sort of... Um, uh, 
uh, a boisterous and sort of, um, you know, sort of really sort of use that weight behind them. Uh, so they're always stuck in that sort of tricky spot, I th- I'd say. The other thing I was asked about a couple of times this week is why I didn't make more of a big deal about Jacinda Ardern dropping four points in the preferred mm. Prime Minister to 41. And um, the reason behind that is because the Prime Minister had a huge spike after the um, Christchurch attack. Um, she went up to 51. And, um, you know, because of her response, because she handled that so well, and we're now seeing that 41 level out to be more like pre-Christchurch um, numbers. And so I think if if we saw her drop again by another four or five next time, I think that would be a really big deal. Into but the it 30s. is 41 is still dramatically <laughs> It's high still a long yeah. drop down to it's, 6%. Isn't yeah. it interesting, the though? Isn't it interesting, though, that 6% of people that we ask say they, you know, that Simon Bridges would be their preferred Prime Minister. Yet 45% of people want, you know, National is their preferred party. And Simon Bridges leads it. You know, like, it, it is interesting that you kind so of get despite those him wildly rather, different yeah. things. It, it, you know, which is why the, you know, the party votes are so much more important. And I did listen to a, an Australian pollster a little while ago talking on Radio New Zealand. He was saying some interesting things um, about that preferred Prime Minister stat. And he was sort of talking about how you can actually flip it around and say, well, Okay, well, for 90, you know, it doesn't tell you a lot in terms of 94% of Kiwis would rather have someone other than Simon Bridges, or I think, what would it be? Would it be 59% would rather have someone other than Jacinda Ardern as their preferred Prime Minister if you flip those stats round? Yeah, Mm. I think, but what it does do is it shows whether people like them or not, and they don't like Simon Bridges. And I think that it's hard especially in an election campaign where it's where we are more presidential in the way that we run these campaigns it is in the debates Ardern versus Bridges if that's how it plays out with these two current leaders that you know that's what we're going to see and it is about you and if people find you annoying and find your voice annoying and don't like the way you deliver things it's quite hard to become Prime Minister but hey that's an interesting example that you use here though with you know with the debates and stuff Mm. like that Simon Bridges hasn't had an opportunity yet to be in that position and and, and possibly if people saw him Mm. you know he's in that kind of leader Leader he said though, that he position. doesn't perform very well in debates. I think he sort of said that in an interview last week that his strength is actually knocking on the door, handing out leaflets, sort of that face-to-face stuff. So I don't know if those debates would do him too too well. Now, just in terms of the Luxon uh, appearance in the preferred Prime Minister poll, obviously we, we uh, take it back to the ad that was put in the uh, Herald, I think it was, the full-page ad, which basically likened him to John Key and then it mixed did the Mickey Mouse mix into uh, Christopher Luxon and then it had that appeal to my hashtag Luxon 2020 Um, just a quick little update uh, for those political uh, enthusiasts out there that the Electoral Commission uh, has viewed that the advertisement placed uh, with NZME was a party advertisement uh, and it should have had the written authorisation of the National Party Secretary prior to publication uh, and that it didn't Well, that might be a nice place to finish off um, the little poll chat and move on to another big issue. Another big poll chat? (laughs) Yeah. Our euthanasia poll. Yeah. Mm. Have a look at this.
MPs under pressure on euthanasia, with constituents and consciences weighing heavy. You know, if I go to my own electorate, it, it, there's a mixed bag. Whether it's in the community or on the Marae, people have raised it with me. Um, we will, we're thinking about it. Hoping to make it easier, David Seymour today announcing major changes, restricting the bill only to those with a terminal illness, while removing those with a grievous and irremediable condition. So previously a person with a long-term degenerative illness could access the bill. Uh, the new version will require you to have a terminal illness. And it could be enough for some. I think the safeguards that uh, David Seymour is proposing look good to me. And it makes the changes that a lot of people have been looking for. In the latest One News Colmar Brunton poll, we asked whether a terminally or incurably ill person should be able to ask for medical help to end their life. 72% said yes, while 20% said no. The rest weren't sure. I spent a whole career nurturing and protecting life and I'm not about to change that now. There are some nuances that I think could get me over the line with David's SOP. Other changes by the Act leader include euthanasia not to be granted simply on the basis of disability or mental illness. New Zealand First today also finalising its amendment calling for a nationwide referendum on the issue, striking a deal with David Seymour for mutual support. This is one of those issues that I believe that the New Zealand public needs to be trusted with. The problem is, is that you only get one question to ask and again with such a complex issue why would you do that? I am really hopeful that people do not play silly buggers with this process. MPs are expected to start thrashing out the details on the end of life choice bill from tomorrow. So this is one of the, um, arguably one of the most controversial pieces of legislation that they've had before Parliament and last night it entered committee stages. We saw the raw emotion there from the likes of uh, Lewis Awar um, speaking about a family member of hers who had just passed away from a terminally ill um, sickness um, and so you know you're just seeing the emotions coming to the fore here at Parliament. Um, it's a real conscious issue, conscience issue so people are having to debate um, internally about where they stand on this and we've seen that throughout this week. Yeah and I think it's we're having people coming forward and we're seeing the likes of some of the um, backbench MPs um, we saw yesterday with your story um, the likes of um, Chris Pink who we don't hear from all the time coming forward and speaking very passionately about it and that's what these um, these conscience votes allow is for we hear everyone everyone counts as the same and we hear from um, a whole range of people on it and how they feel about it. Um, yeah it was, I mean especially for Lewis Wall it was very raw, it was just recently this, I think it was a week ago and the funeral was on Tuesday and so to be able to speak um, that rawly in, in Parliament about something like that and I just think it shows that for a lot of people they've had um, personal experience of, of someone being ill um, or, or have a personal view about how they would want, want things to, to play out. Yeah. 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 Um, also, interesting, I think, like, because we've polled over a number of years on euthanasia, and there or thereabouts, it's always kind of set around the 75% mark. Um, you know, members of the public are in favour of euthanasia, people, you know, being able to end their suffering and go on their own terms. <clears throat> it, and for me, it's interesting to see that Parliament's actually a lot more conservative. Um, <clears throat> than the general public when it comes to this issue or you know it's it's what, what would you say it's, um yeah yeah what sort of numbers we're getting 70 70 50 kind of mm. you know at, at parliament among our politicians there's yeah. much more opposition to it as here 
among our politicians than there is out in the general public. And you hear the likes of Maggie Barry sort of um, saying yesterday that, you know, they're the ones who have to make this decision. They're the ones that have to stay awake um, at 2am at just pondering whether or not they've made the right call and what sort of impact that'll have. And so we saw this group of um, uh, 10 or so, there'll be more of them, I think, they were, they were just sort of busy, but a, a big group of national MPs who opposed this piece of legislation. They came out yesterday and fronted the media and basically just said why they're still concerned about it. They raised things like, you know, the age currently set at 18. They think it should be more around the mid-20s. They don't think that, you know, 18, 19-year-olds will be safe. They think they'll still be vulnerable and their brains haven't fully developed to be able to make those types of decisions for themselves. Um, They've got other issues there. Like, you know, we saw changes brought in by David Seymour, which did appease to even, you know, some members within the National Party. We saw Nicola Willis in that story there sort of say, yep, I think it's sort of about right for me. Those changes included just narrowing it down, um, the eligibility to those who have a terminal illness uh, who are likely to die within six months. Maggie Barry yesterday coming out saying, well, actually, you know, a number of us will know people who have received the news from a doctor saying you've got six months to live, but actually they've outlived that um, that um, uh, sentence or that sort of uh, diagnosis. Yeah. So how can we be sure? And and so they're just saying that they are speaking up for the most vulnerable who they feel hasn't had um, a big enough voice and that obviously we saw 39,000 submissions on the um, choice of life bill, 90% were against it. Really interesting to see the contrast there with the public poll yeah, yeah, that yeah, we yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, but the people who are you know, deeply concerned about this are much more likely to, you know, to put in those submissions. That, yeah, they're motivated exactly, That's right? That's right. In opposition. And yeah. politically, if you take a step back, the, this is really, for, for David Seymour, for him, the, is he going to be able to get it across the line? And he, this has been his big, one big thing that he's got. And it's going to be tough, um, but I just think that that it's it'll be interesting. If he does that means next year he can go back to his electorate and say, look what I can do. Um, Pretty impressive for a one-man band, I Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, New Zealand First still pushing to get a public referendum on this issue. They sort of did a trade-off with um, David Seymour, we'll support your changes if you support our referendum yeah. push. Um, and David Seymour said he's happy for it to go to the public because he thinks, based on our sort of poll numbers, that there is still strong support. He thinks that in the shakedown, if it was a referendum, it would would end more like 65-35, but he still thinks that the public will get it across the line. So it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out. And my understanding is New Zealand First will oppose it if they don't get... The, the referendum, they'll all pull It's there. a bottom line for them, yeah. 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 Well, speaking of opposing, um, Simon Bridges came out very strongly criticising the Prime Minister's trip to Tokelau, so let's have a look at my story on that. The 1,500 people of Tokelau are New Zealand's citizens. But Simon Bridges says the Prime Minister should be back in Wellington focusing on issues like Ehumato. We're just not seeing that focus from a part-time Prime Minister in government. I do wonder if there's a bit of a sexist overtone in that. Visiting the New Zealand Territory takes Jacinda Ardern out for six days, much of that getting there and back. She clearly isn't focused on the issues that matter to New Zealanders. Is he telling the Tokelauan community that they're not everyday New Zealanders? Just because the National Party couldn't be bothered going to Tokelau in the whole nine years. It's a show of hand by the government of New Zealand 
that uh, it generally, generally cares about Tokelau and her people. One News has known about this trip since the beginning of the year. It's been planned for months. And Grant Robertson came out swinging this afternoon in defence of the Prime Minister. It is a desperate comment from a person polling 6%. Simon Bridges reckons the Prime Minister should have gone during the three-week parliamentary break. The Prime Minister believes that all New Zealanders deserve to see their Prime Minister once in a while. When is the Prime Minister going to visit, say, the suburb of Te Atatū or Matua in Tauranga, where she hasn't been, I think, as Prime Minister? For now, though, it's the people of Tokelau laying out the red carpet. So we've got this unusual situation here where we've got the Prime Minister going to Tokelau. I was going to say away from New Zealand, but of course it's not. Um, going to Tokelau for six days and Simon Bridges coming out and criticising her really strongly on that. And I think what was really interesting is to see how Grant Robertson got really fired up um, coming in to defend her. What did you guys make of all of this? Because it's a, it's a... It's a trip that a Prime Minister hasn't made in a decade. Um, National didn't go when it was in office. but And that's because it's so hard to get there. It's like two days there, two days back, and a, and a couple of days on the ground. And because there's three atolls, you have to visit each of them. Um, it's a big trip. You know, they've taken, taken the boat, taken um, some journos along too. But um, what, do you, what do you guys reckon? Well, first of all, uh, in terms of Grant Robertson, I'm not surprised that he came out so fiercely uh, in defence of the Prime Minister. He's basically her unspoken number two, I think. I mean, you've obviously got Calvin Davis there, but we all know Grant's always been her sort of running mate for years. So not surprised that he came out to defend his BFF. (laughs) Um, But in terms of the issue, you know, I take my hat off to the Prime Minister. I think good on her for going to Tukalau. I think 14 years um, between visits is too long. Someone had to do it. Um, And I think taking six days out is worth it and I think you know when you work at parliament especially you, you kind of get an appreciation not just Jacinda Ardern but the prime ministers before as well the hours they work are incredible <coughs> um, you know enormous workloads um, you know off to visit a New Zealand territory obviously she's got the family connection there as well with her father yeah what, what's his oh, position yeah. the, um is it that a commissioner? I'm not actually 100% sure. Yeah. It was in Lisa Davies' story, but it ha- was... Yeah, having that sort of role uh, overlooking the territory for New Zealand as well. Yeah. So obviously the family connection there as well. Um, I mean, I do kind of giggle, given that it was not that long ago that National didn't have anyone at Parliament um, on the day that just in the back down on the capital gains tax, despite they knew it was coming out. So I do think, well, yeah, a little bit of a cheeky dig there, um, given they couldn't be bothered to show up that day. Yeah, I'm just not sure how wise the dig was. I just think that, um, I think the part-time Prime Minister thing, I think that's unfair. Um, I think um, that that you know prime ministers don't have that choice even if they wanted to and i do think that um using phrases like that um is unfair yeah it's politics and it's and you can get into that kind of stuff but i'm i'm not sure about that i also think with um foreign affairs you know even though it is a new zealand territory but for things like that we're usually more hands off with it um you know if if you're off for a trip it's usually you know it's about new zealand it's not about politics in that situation um and i just i mean he got on the, to the political agenda um but i'm just not quite sure how that will sit with people uh, yeah i thought it was kind of a funny move too after they had a really good what seemed to be like a pretty positive conference over the weekend and really poll? good poll results yeah. Yeah, and then he- to kind of come in this negative stuff but also I don't think 
you know, Simon Bridges would have been calling her a part-time prime minister if she'd been off visiting Scott Morrison or Donald Trump or, you know... Boris but, Johnson. Yeah, yeah, like if she'd been off visiting somewhere else in the world, mm-hmm. he, he wouldn't have been making yeah. these claims. Interesting. Yeah, obviously he doesn't of, view Tokelau as particularly important. He mentioned it for the first time at the National Party conference in one of the stand-ups, and it just totally went over the top of my head because I was just thinking, what are you talking about? And I was really surprised to see him continuing to drive that line. It's obviously a catchy phrase, part-time Prime Minister. It's a little catchy quip there, but it just lacks substance and I think just a bad sort of strategic move on Simon Bridges' part. But and is it I a would dog whistle? bury that real quickly if I was Are they dog whistling? though to their own supporters trying to drive in that you know she's she's a mum with a child she doesn't you know she's not putting in enough work on the job do you think I think that's a bit rough I think I, I think even I, I think even national members will see through that uh yeah because yeah, that's, that's kind of what Grant Robertson was saying right you know, it's sexist. I do think that's a bit rough though given that you know Bridges has three young kids himself and or, do you know what I mean like, but isn't I that the message he's trying to send I think that's what people are saying his dog was I mean you, you'd, we'd have to ask him that and, and when he was asked that in the stand up he was like no it's absolutely nothing to do with that you know but I do think that um, yeah that if that's the impression that you, you are left with that's you know that's that's for other people to feel like he's being offensive like Grant Robertson for example but I'm not sure if that's what he would have meant by that. I thought it was a little bit tacky too that he sort of tried to tack it onto the back of the Ihumatao um, uh, protest that's happening up in Auckland. He's sort of suggesting that she should have been here sorting out those issues. This trip was planned months in advance. Um, uh, you know, she's got senior Māori ministers covering that issue. It's not going to go anywhere within the space of a week. Um, when she gets back, she'll still be able to sort it out. So I just think that. But what did you make of his point that, hey, we've just come from a three-week recess, she had all the, you know... Yeah. She had all the time in the world to go to Tokelau then and take this, you know, the six-day trip. We had to take a broken plane to Melbourne, mate. (laughs) (laughs) And I also think that, um, I mean, for for lots of people watching this, they'll they'll know how things work around here. But um, at the beginning of most years, um, I'll sit down with the chief press secretary and he'll say, these are the trips that are coming up um, so that we can kind of divvy out um, who's going to do what and and cover cover each thing. And so we'd, we'd... I'd known about it since the beginning of the year, um, and and it was, it, it's been planned for a long time. That's how these trips work. They're not just oh, we get a heads up a few days before we go. There's lots of planning and yeah. things that go into them. So I mean, I do think that perhaps they could have timed it around a recess, but you know, you're not. Maybe the recess dates changed or whatever. But she, you know, we did have three weeks off. Um, would it have made more sense to go during one of those weeks? Yeah, that would have been much better. Um, and and then it means that there's, she's back here well, and not both, leaving it to Calvin Davis. I think both the Prime Minister and um, Simon Bridges took holidays during overseas yeah. holidays during that recess Absolutely. as well. Absolutely, yeah. Well, shall we move on um, to the National Party Conference? Um, Mikey Sherman f- flew down to Christchurch to report on this for us, so let's take a look at her check on that. New year, new tactic as Simon Bridges pushes on. The New Zealand National Party has a bottom line. Our bottom line is you. Last year was all about getting to know the national leader. We were a new team with new ideas. It's not been the smoothest introduction. Do you think New Zealanders know who Simon Bridges is? Well, I think we've always got a way to go. But what Simon Bridges has done well, the party is keen to capitalise on. I see middle New Zealanders struggling to pay increasing rents and to put petrol in their car. 
pressuring the government on issues that resonate with ordinary Kiwis. New Zealanders can't afford this government. Is this about shifting the focus away from you though because you haven't been resonating with voters? No, I mean has a very much I think a contrast with a government that does seem focused on whether it's being in Melbourne for a TED talk, whether it's being uh, in the Pacific Islands uh, right now. There's no denying Simon Bridges hasn't enjoyed the same cut through as his predecessors. Opposition's a difficult place so you're always going to get criticised but personally I think he's doing well. National members seem to agree. Whoever is the leader has the support of the party. I think Simon's a good leader. I think he will come forward. Keeping a lid on further speculation of a leadership challenge. And the question really is, is there a desire to make another change? And the answer is no. Oh, I just want to win. <laughs> that's, that's it. Helping Simon Bridges to win could come in the form of another leading lady. He's got a bloody fantastic Kiwi accent. <laughs> Wife Natalie proving popular. Sometimes he's a buffoon. She thinks you've got a bloody good accent. <laughs> so do I. Nationals seemingly unified and firing a warning shot. In a game of two halves, we're just starting the second half and I think it's got to be Nationals' strongest half. Big words for a big challenge ahead. So this was a really big conference for Simon Bridges. He's obviously been questioned um, on his leadership uh, just to do with recent polls in recent months. So it was a real chance for him to basically test the mood of the members and we also did that. And so that was the, the thing that I was most looking forward to was asking the members what they thought about Simon Bridges and Judith Collins. I would have spoken to about at least eight different people. All of them had good stuff to say about Simon Bridges. They all backed him. I was surprised um, because of the, the sort of um, popularity that we've seen with Judith Collins and also the good job that she's doing with housing. They acknowledged that but there wasn't any mood from the members that I spoke to which I felt was sort of a good representation of who you know of, of those there. Um, there wasn't any appetite for change at the moment. And it's funny the message that um, you I was being inundated with was oh how good the conference was and the best in several years and the mood was really buoyant and da, da, da. So I think they were very keen um, to get that message out there that it's that it is strong, that he performed reasonably yeah, well. I, what was your I think sense? that was probably more my summation of it as opposed to anyone trying to influence my my thinking on it. I think I think the um, individual members were just basically talking, you know, telling it how they see it, and they see it doing, you know, the party doing well. There were a lot of members there, almost sort of six to seven hundred. Um, obviously, John Key still a star attraction. Honestly, the guy was just being inundated by by a number of MPs as well for selfies and signing books and that sort of thing. Um, I, you know, it was interesting to talk to him about Simon Bridges' leadership. He thinks that um, Bridges is doing okay and doing well. So, um, yeah, so I thought it went well. What was the highlight of the conference, Mikey? Ooh, oh, the highlight. Oh, actually, something a little different. Probably Natalie Bridges for me. Yeah. His wife. The she, buffoon line was the great. The buffoon line was great. Um, the accent line was great. I love that she threw in bloody good accent. Um, <laughs> it was really nice and refreshing just to hear from one of the spouses. Um, you know, you, sometimes you don't usually see that. We never saw that much with Brona Key, for example. Um, so it was good to see her. She was such a hit. I'm sure we'll see her more on the election um, trail next year. Yeah, it's interesting, eh, because we do. Did see quite a lot um, of Mary Brid uh, of Mary, Mary Bridges, or oh, that's a so Mary English, I should mm. say. Um, she was quite um, 
quite active and quite dominant. So it'll be interesting to see which way Natalie Bridges, she's obviously a very eloquent speaker and very comfortable on the stage, um, given her 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 job and her and look like roles. looked like quite funny from the bits I saw and yeah, yeah it was like quite funny and mm. just yeah. on the English note too I I, I did fly down on the uh, plane same plane as Bill English uh, and surprised not to see him at the conference so he oh. did fly into Christchurch but didn't quite make his way down to the town hall ah very interesting <laughs> very maybe he was sitting up the back or something <laughs> trying to I don't know I scanned the crowd pretty good uh, <laughs> maybe he was just on the on driving through to Dipton or something yeah, yeah. probably Long drive well maybe we'll wrap it up there but um, thank you very much for being with us. That was One News Inside Parliament, a weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering. We are on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. It's available around this time each week on One News Now, the One News Facebook page. And check us out on your favourite podcasting app. We'll talk to you soon. See you guys. 